Well, Happy New Year, Christ Chapel. Happy New Year to all of you joining us at the South Campus, West Campus, Hive, Converge, Internet Campus. Man, no better place I would rather be to start the new year than with the Christ Chapel family. Uh, We're going to continue to worship as we take up an offering at all of our campuses. If you'd like to give, uh, you can certainly give a physical gift outside of your venue after the worship service, or you can text to give. It's very easy to give that way. Jen and I have given that way before, or you can give online. Uh, We give that way all the time and a reoccurring gift. Super thankful for that. Also, thank you to everyone who gave to end of year uh, giving. I have no idea what you give ever, um, but I know just from the history of Christ Chapel that uh, your generosity is going to shine through in that uh, as we uh, get those numbers. And I will uh, certainly communicate that to you uh, when we get that all collected after the new year. But thank you to all of you who took those envelopes home, prayed to help us reach the 800,000 in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus. I'm excited to see how God does that uh, this next year. Uh, in our fellowship. But I hope you had a good holiday. Hope you were able to, you know, see some friends or see some family. I know many people had to call audibles uh, this holiday season. Their, their holiday plans didn't go uh, as expected, but hope you got to see some folks. Uh, we did get to go down and see my family. They live in the big city, the metropolis called Temple, Texas, uh, that is just two hours south on I-35. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, there is nothing that will crush your Christmas cheer worse than I-35 in Waco. It is the worst. It it, it is awful. And I know, please go ahead. You're so kind. All of you are going to come up and tell me the ways to get around it. I know 281 is a wonderful drive. It just takes forever. I get it. So thank you. Uh, You're all kind. But because we go down there, uh, I always use the Waze app. You guys use that app, you know? I love the Waze app, and I use it every time we go down there. In fact, this time, uh, I put it on, and Dax, our older son, he said, why do you use that, Dad? Do you not know how to get there? And I'm like, no, I I remember how to get there, but the, the great thing about that app is that it tells you where the construction is, it tells you where the congestion is, it tells you where police officers are. I mean, not that I need that, but you know, it tells you where cars are on the side of the road, where potholes are. I mean, it tells you everything. I'm like, this thing is great. It helps to navigate the the smoothest, most efficient, shortest, least dangerous drive down to Temple. And I'm I'm so thankful for it. That's why I, I use it all the time. And as I was thinking about that and how, uh, you know, all of us are starting this new year, I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was a Waze app for life? It'd be, it'd be great if there was a Waze app that you could just type in, you know, this is where I want to go this next year. And it was like, here are the potholes ahead. You know, don't go this direction. This is going to be the much smoother path, you know, exit here. Don't keep going this direction. I thought, you know, that would be genius. I I just need to invent that. Because the Waze app, one of the things that makes it genius is that it can see ahead. It, It sees ahead what is coming and therefore can tell you how to navigate those obstacles. And that's the problem and that's why the app doesn't exist. Because we can't see ahead and we can't see the future. Proof of that. Just just go back a year. 
when we were coming out of 2020, going into 2021, and everybody said, praise God, we're done with 2020. 2021 is gonna be so much better. You thought you could see ahead. You didn't see what was coming. And 2021 had just as much, if not more, uh, pain, pressure points added to it than the year prior. And so I don't wanna put a, a downer on this sermon as you go, oh wow, super encouraged about 2022, Cody, thanks. I'm not trying to put a downer, and I'm just telling you that we don't know what's coming. We, we don't know what is up ahead. And there isn't an app that exists that you can just type in the destination of where you're headed that will tell you where and where not to go, where to exit, where the dangers are, where congestion is. I wish that existed, but it doesn't. But the reality is you're all typing in a destination this next year. Maybe you're not a New Year's resolution person, and honestly, I'm not. But we all have ideas about where we want to be this time next year. We all have ideas about what we want to have happened in our life. We all have ideas about what we want in our relationships, what we want in our career, what we want in our school, where we want to live, where we want to go, the things we want to do and experience. We all have a destination typed in. It's just the app doesn't exist. But I do believe that there is a way that helps us maybe not get to where you think you're going, but it gets us to where God wants us to go and helps us to be who God wants us to be. Because I've got to believe that if you're here, if you're listening to this sermon, that more than going your own way this next year, you want to go God's way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to continue our series, Heaven Sent, where we've been taking uh, specifically these prophecies that were given about Jesus. Remember, we talked about these as tracking numbers that God had sent ahead, that God had sent hundreds of years before he was going to send his son so that they would know that he was on his way and they would know that he did arrive, where he arrived, how he arrived, all of those things. And that's why we've been studying this heaven sent series as we march through the book of Matthew. But spoiler alert, you thought that the only one who was heaven sent was Jesus. But there was actually somebody else who was heaven sent. And there's another heaven sent one that comes on the scene here in Matthew chapter three. And his name is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, everybody thinks when they hear John the Baptist, they take that last phrase and they think of, you know, crazy Carl the deacon at First Baptist, and they put this picture on him, which every church has their crazy Carl, but everybody thinks that he was a Baptist. It's more accurately translated John the Baptizer. He was John the Baptizer. He wasn't part of the Baptist denomination, okay? That didn't exist back then. All right, but he was John the Baptist and he was the one who was heaven sent before Jesus. Remember, John the Baptist, we know from the book of Luke, John the Baptist, he was the son of Zachariah the priest, Elizabeth, who was a relative of Mary, 
the mother of Jesus. We know this from Luke. And so he was John the Baptist or John the Baptizer was a relative of Jesus. Now we don't know how often they saw each other growing up, if they did cousin trips together or something like that, no idea. But he was heaven sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And one of the reasons why we know he was heaven sent was just because of his appearance. If you look at, uh, we'll, we'll look at it here in just a second. But if you look at his appearance, it says that he was wearing camel hair and he was eating locusts and honey. Now today that would be very popular, you know, sustainably sourced clothing, you know, organic food, but actually this pointed to his poverty. This was, and it pointed to his poverty because he was a very unpopular person because he had a very unpopular message. And actually his, uh, my throat is really dry. Can I get a water please? His message was, was connected to his prophecy. Thank you. His prophecy was looking like that of the prophet Elijah. If you look back at 2 Kings chapter 1, John the Baptist is actually dressed a lot like Elijah. He was sent to prepare the people to come to the Lord, to prepare the way of the Lord. And that's what John the Baptist is doing. So this appearance, this lifestyle, this poverty, what it is, is it's connecting him to being a forerunner to the second one who was heaven sent, who is going to come on the scene. And so what I want to do is look at, uh, look at the context here, just in verses one to three, and then we'll, we'll go through it and start breaking it down. So beginning in Matthew chapter three, verse one, it says, in those days, John the Baptist, more accurately, John the baptizer, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And what is he preaching? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's his message. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his pass straight. And so what is ironic to me here is that John, the prophecy used here, the tracking number in a sense that is used, John is actually using it of himself. He's speaking of himself. This is all the way back to Isaiah when he says, prepare the way of the Lord. That's actually a construction term. It's actually a construction term used for a highway uh, when dignitaries would travel on roads and they would be coming into cities, this is the message that they would give. This dignitary is about to come into town, prepare their way, go and clear the roads, make sure there aren't any roadblocks. The way that we would say it is uh, roll out the red carpet, you know, prepare the way, clean up the house. And it's a, it's a wonderful message that we, we all know because if nobody came over to our house, we would never clean. Yesterday, I had the boys sweeping up the, the downstairs and I'm not kidding you. Dax, our older one said, is somebody coming over? Like I was asking him to do stuff. When people come over, we want to, to host them well, prepare the way. And that's what John's message is. Prepare the way of the Lord. Repent, clean up. That was his message, was repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what does it mean, the kingdom of heaven? Well, that means the king is coming. The dignitary is coming. 
Jesus is about to arrive on the scene and he arrives at the latter part of this chapter, which we'll look at. So he's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because the king is at hand. He is coming to rule and to reign. And so it's time to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight his path, to clear out the roadblocks. But this had nothing to do with the roads. This wasn't the ways app for construction. The roadblocks that he was trying to remove were not the rubble. They were the roadblocks in the heart. And that's why his message is repent. Now, I've got to clear up that word because people have baggage of what that word means. So often, repentance is tied to remorse. And that's actually not what the biblical term means. Repent actually just very simply means to turn the other way. And you've heard me say that many times as we've talked about this word. It's a mental shift. That's what it is. Now we know, and we'll look at it in just a second, that everything that is internal ends up working itself out externally. But that's what he's preaching here is first, a turn of the mind, a turn of the heart. It's an internal shift. And he's saying, stop living for, stop living in the ways, all the things that you're doing that show that you're not waiting or looking for a king. Now turn, prepare your heart for the king to come. Look for his arrival because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message that he's preaching. He wants you to acknowledge the king is here. You see, I think as we begin to set our sights on this new year, and I don't know what destination you've typed in for what you hope is coming in 2022, but I do know that the way of the Lord begins by acknowledging Christ as your king. It starts by acknowledging that Christ is the king that he's the king of your heart, that he's the king of your life, that he is the one you're waiting for, he is the one you're living for, he is the one that you submit to. And this is what people were doing as he calls them to repent, which just means again, to turn from the way that you're living. Turn and look for him, open your life up to him, Christ the coming king because the kingdom is at hand. People start coming to him. If you look at verses five and six, it says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were coming out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So we've got a map for you so that you can see that where it has a red dot there next to Jericho because that's the traditional site of where John the baptizer would have been uh, holding those baptisms in the Jordan River. We don't know exactly where that happened, but that's the traditional site. And people from Jerusalem and all Judea are coming out so that they can acknowledge him as king. And the way that they're doing this, the way that they're showing their repentance, that they've changed their mind, that they've changed their heart, is they are being baptized. Baptism was a very public thing. It's in the river. It's in the creek. it's, It's out for everybody to see. It wasn't inside closed doors. And so everybody is acknowledging this through John's baptism, this repentance of sin. Now, I, have to, I want to draw some quick distinctions here because the baptism that John was doing is different than the baptism that we do today as 
Christians. And I've put this on your sermon notes, but I want you to understand because there are a couple of key differences here. Because uh, if you look at John's baptism, uh, John's baptism was symbolic, definitely was symbolic, and it was by immersion. That's what the word baptize means. Baptize in scripture means to completely immerse. It was used of uh, dyeing cloth. And so if you wanted purple cloth, you would put it, the cotton in there and it, you'd bring it back up and it would be purple. It would be identified with whatever it was baptized in. So John's baptism is symbolic. It was symbolic of purification, of I don't want to keep living for the things I was living for, living the way that I was living. I want to live differently, symbolic. Nothing salvific about that water that John was baptizing with. It was in anticipation of a coming king. I think that's self-explanatory from the verses that we just read. And it awaited the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 11, he says, there's one to come after me. I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, which talks about the coming judgment. We don't have time to go into that today. But that's John's baptism. Our baptism, if you look at your sermon notes, you can see the contrast really clearly. We still have and celebrate symbolic immersion. There's nothing salvific about the water. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, by no works. And baptism would be a work if we said that you were saved by it, that you would have to be baptized to be saved. You don't. It is an outward sign or symbol of an inward reality because you have repented. You've changed your mind and your heart. You stopped trusting in whatever you were trusting in. Now you're trusting in Jesus. And the symbolism is different. You're not just symbolizing that you have been cleansed of your sins, although that is part of it with the water, but you are identifying with a resurrected king. We now know more of the story than John had. You see, he was waiting a king. We now know that we have a king who has conquered death. And that's what baptism recognizes, is that we died with Christ. We are identified with him. Remember, same as baptism, the dying of cloth, identified in his death, but identified in his resurrection. Now we are alive in him. Just like the Galatians 2.20 that we just talked about in communion at all of our venues. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's the symbolism. So the symbolism is still symbolic both ways, but symbolizing two different things. See, because we are not awaiting the Holy Spirit, we are already indwelled with the Holy Spirit upon belief. And praise God for that, because that will come into play at the end. So different baptisms, but a very public acknowledgement that I want to follow this king. You see, for us to acknowledge him, I think it's appropriate for us, especially in this new year, for us to start the new year fresh by pledging our allegiance to Christ both privately and publicly. Pledge your allegiance to Christ both privately and publicly. And when I say privately, uh, that is where I'm using that literal interpretation and definition of the repentance. It's a change of mind and heart. It's a, I, 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 I'm going to f- turn to you, God. That's a, that's a private thing. And you don't have to have it all figured out. 
I'll tell you, when I came to know Christ when I was 16 years old, um, you know, sometimes people talk about a sinner's prayer or something special that you have to pray. I will tell you, here's what I prayed whenever I came to know Jesus. I said, Jesus, I need you. And I know that I can't keep living the same way I'm living with you in my life. Amen. Like that, that was it. There, there, were, there were no magic, no magic words. Those probably weren't even the right words. No, those were fine words because it was, it was, it was my heart turning to him. I, I, I just know I can't keep living the same way. You're in my life. I've got to live for you. You're my king. It's going to be different, but wherever you lead me, God, that's where I'm gonna go. I pledge my allegiance to you, and some of you need to make that statement privately to the Lord. Change your mind and heart. Repent from the way that you're living. Turn to him. Trust in him alone privately. But then, whatever we do in private always works itself out in public. And some of you need to make your faith public this next year. Maybe that needs to be your destination that you type in. Is God help me make my faith public? Yes, we can very literally apply that with baptism. Some of you need to do that. We believe in believer's baptism. Once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are baptized. It's your identification with Jesus, just like the cloth that we talked about. And some of you need to do that. If you would like to be baptized, go onto our website, ccbcfamily.org backslash baptisms. It's very simple. We would love to do that. Some of you need to do that this year to make your faith public because then we can support you, hold you accountable. Man, all of those things that we do in public help keep us accountable to those, those things that we say privately. You know, for instance, I mean, how awful would it have been to, to my wife, and you can apply it to yourself, if I said, Jen, I love you so much, I want to keep it a secret. How, how far do you think our relationship would have gone? No, it's, you know, gosh, I'm thinking of Christmas movies because we had Elf on the entire time at our house. But you remember when Elf goes on the date with Jovi and Elf comes into the boardroom and says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. You know, isn't, isn't that how I hope that we would feel about our Savior, our King, that we're in love, we're in love, we don't care who knows it. Maybe you need to make your faith public through baptisms, sure, but maybe this is time to make your faith public in your workplace with a group of friends, with a neighbor, and say, I need to tell you about me. I, you know, we can't treat Jesus like, I love you so much, I want to keep it a secret. Why? <laughs> that, 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 that does not hold us accountable. That does not show the world. That does not show our true love and affection to him. It's time for us to take that stand in 2022. See, the way of the Lord doesn't only begin, though, with that public confession. That way of the Lord is authenticated by living a life under Christ's kingship. What I mean by that is we can't just say these things with our words. If I just told Jen that I loved her but never followed it up with any actions, she would wonder if it was really true. 
And wouldn't everybody else wonder the same thing? They would say, you say you love Jesus, Cody, but how do you show us that you love Jesus? You can't just talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. And there was a group of folks that were only talking the talk. They were not walking the walk. And these people come to John and they start inquiring about him. Look at verses seven and nine. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, remember they're coming from Jerusalem. Wasn't wasn't that far, it's only a few miles. So they start coming out to see his baptism. And he said to them, you brood of vipers. Probably don't greet people that way. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Meaning he believes they're under wrath. And I think he's going to tell you why right here. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from even these stones to raise up children of Abraham. See, the religious leaders of the day who knew God's word inside and out, they were coming. They had the power over the people in a sense in a religious system. They were coming out to John to say, what's the stir? You're taking our following. And they're going out to him to say, what is going on? And he calls them a brood of vipers. Now, why? Satan is usually depicted as a snake in scripture. And what he's essentially calling them are Satan's children. You brood of vipers. You are not keeping with a life that shows that you are following God. Why? Because they were trusting in that we belong to Abraham. I'm a child of Abraham. It doesn't matter how I live. I, I am God's chosen people. It, it's all based on my family tree. It's not based on my heart. It's not based on my mind. It's not based on what I trust in. It's based on who I was born to. And he's going, no, 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 no. It's not based on that because God could raise up children from stones. And we know that from scripture where he says even the rocks would cry out if no one praised him. And these people are coming from all over to pledge their allegiance to Jesus. See, they were trusting in the wrong thing. They were saying that, hey, because I was born into this family, I can live however I'm living. They were talking the talk. They just weren't walking the walk. And for some of us in 2022, we need to realign incongruent areas of our life to show who you ultimately belong to. I I love when I hear stories of people's family heritage, of how they they followed the Lord and their their, distant relative was a a preacher or a pastor or was a, a, a deacon or a wonderful, those are all wonderful things, but where is your heart with Jesus? Yours. That's what I care about. That's what Jesus cared, love the heritage but what about you? That's what Jesus is calling. He's calling on you to follow him. And we need to realign some of these incongruent areas of our lives that we say, no, I I, I belong to this person. I belong, no, I belong to my grandfather because he was a great preacher. Wait, no, it's about belonging to Jesus. Do you belong to him? Uh, Many of you probably watched or have been watching college football. It's been on all the time, uh, and 
many of you waited for me to say the Sikkim Bears. Yeah, just got, got to say it. Um, and I, thank you, Danny. Amen on that one. Um, but you've been watching all these things. And I'll just tell you, though, we've had college football on. And it's been really confusing to my boys for them to hear who I'm rooting for as I watch different bowl games. I'll just give you an example. So yesterday, uh, the Oklahoma State game was on. Oklahoma State was playing Notre Dame. And so Dax said, you know, Dad, who are you going for? And I said, Oklahoma State. And he said, why are you going for Oklahoma State? You see, he had seen me root against Oklahoma State two times prior when Baylor had played Oklahoma State because he knows that I'm a Baylor bear inside and out. So he doesn't understand, wait, you were against Oklahoma State Cowboys for two games. Every time I've heard you talk about Oklahoma State, now you want Oklahoma State to win. He was completely confused. It's incongruent. And I wonder how many of us treat our relationship with Jesus like bowl season, where we say, well, in this scenario, I'm going for Jesus. But in that scenario... It's more advantageous for me to root for myself or for me to act this way or for me to pledge my allegiance to somebody else. You see, Jesus doesn't work like bowl season. We've got to align those incongruencies where it's like, well, I'll go for them and them and them, but on this occasion, this. We are for Jesus tried and true through and through. We are not fair weather Jesus fans. He is our king, he is our savior, we are citizens of his kingdom, and we follow him and him alone. We've got to align those incongruent places because it's not only detrimental for our relationship with Jesus, it's confusing to our world. They don't understand. You you put out the, you know, you put the Bible verse at the bottom of your email signature, but then you live a different way in front of them. And they're going, wait, Who are you rooting for here? I don't understand. If we're going to reach the 800,000 in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus, we cannot have those obvious incongruencies. Sure, we're going to make missteps. Sure, we're going to fall. Sure, we're going to sin. I'm with you. But the obvious ones, guys, man, you got to win where you can. And there are those areas that I know God through his Holy Spirit is pointing out to you that are incongruent. Let's align those because we're team Jesus 100% of the time. And then finally, the way of the Lord is validated. It's authenticated as we live our lives in every area for Jesus. But the way of the Lord is validated by God's presence, power, and his pleasure. And I love this point. It's validated by God's presence, power, and pleasure. Listen to this from John chapter 3, I mean, uh, from Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 17. As John is baptizing these folks, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. Now, John would have prevented him, saying, Wait, hold on. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went 
up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That happens at every baptism at Christ Chapel. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, seriously? No. But in a sense, it does. Hold on. Let, let me explain the passage. So Jesus comes to John, and he says that he wants to be baptized. You almost have this awkward confrontation where it's like, wait, I think you should be baptizing me. And, and he says, no. I'm going to be baptized with you to fulfill all righteousness. Now, here's a, a point that you've got to understand. Remember, go back to what we talked about John's baptism. John's baptism was a repentance from sin, turning from the old way that we were living, looking for the righteous Messiah, the king who was coming to rule and to reign. Does Jesus need to be baptized for the repentance of his sin? No. Good. That was an easy one. No. He was sinless did not need to repent of any sin. So why is he being baptized to fulfill all righteousness? Because he is identifying with you and with me. That's why. He is in every way identified with humanity, in every way, except that he does not sin. And so he's identifying. And when he identifies, remember we've talked about that identification going back to the word baptism. When he identifies with us, you have this incredible moment where the Trinity comes together and the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus as a dove and, the, and the, God the Father break, breaks open the heavens and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I think there are a couple things going on there. First, certainly, that he is identifying, this is my son. This is the second person of the Trinity. But I, I also think one of the things that's happening there is he, they are saying this is the one as a, as a Trinity. We are well pleased of this is why you came. You came to identify with humanity. You came to give your life. Remember, the, this, this, this is the first time that we've heard the Trinity speak together since Genesis chapter one. And in Genesis chapter one, remember they said, let us make humankind in our image. Now it's let us identify with them so that we can save them. Let us make them, let us save them. And I think that's why he's, they're coming together as the Trinity to validate Jesus here. And you see this incredibly powerful moment where the heavens break open and this happens. But I also think this was for Jesus in a sense. Because as I said, Jesus is identified with us in every way except that he does not sin. And guess what Jesus is about to go into? The temptation. And we're gonna cover that next week. But I think it's important for him to hear, just as it's important for all of us to hear, this is my son in whom I am well pleased because you're about to go into a place and be tempted and go through incredible hardships and you might think that you've done something wrong. And guess what? You haven't done anything wrong. Spoiler alert, because in chapter four, verse one, it says the spirit of God leads him into the desert. Why? To identify with you and me. He came for this purpose. This is why he came.
But what an incredible moment of power, of purpose for him to understand that he hadn't done anything wrong. See, I think that's really important for us to understand, especially on January 2nd, 2022, that we would find our identity in knowing whose we are and how he feels about us. May our identity be found in whose we, whose we are, who we belong to. Because I don't know what's going to happen this next year. I don't know what potholes you're going to hit. I, I don't know what's going to come. But I want you to be able to hear God's Spirit say to you personally, individually, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Not because you've done all the right things, but because you're in Jesus. See, he's completely pleased with who Jesus is because Jesus identifies with us. And when we place our trust in him, we are identified with him. And so we have his pleasure fully. We have his power because we're in Jesus fully. That we can say no to sin and temptation just like he's going to do the next week that you're going to see in Matthew chapter 4. We have his purpose. We have all of these things that show up there because we are in Jesus. You see, I don't want you to spend this next year searching for identity. If you're looking for it, chances are you're not going to find it. But if you find it, you're probably going to find it in the wrong place. Because if it can be given to you next year, it can be taken away from you the following This is the only thing that will sustain you, that God says, you are mine. And because of Jesus, I am pleased. What a secure way to walk into this next year, knowing that whatever we walk into, we're following his way. We're we're not walking out of step as we keep in step with his spirit and understand his power. We're not going outside of his will. He's not displeased with us. We're right where he wants us because we're in his way. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for uh, your spirit at work in us. I thank you, Lord, that you want us to go your way. You want us to follow in your footsteps. And Lord, we can do that because you went ahead of us. And Lord, I just pray that as we uh, make these decisions, as we turn our minds and hearts to you as we make these things uh, private decisions. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities and open doors to make those things public so that we can make much of you. And we know that when we do, Lord, I pray that you'd show up in powerful ways, just like we saw in scripture, that it would change people's lives, that it would turn people's hearts to you. So Lord, we confess and we say, your way is our way. Make our way your way. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.